We the bestest cast with the left twist. Fat, fairly well dressed. Put me on the guest list. The guest list. Uh, yeah, on the guest list. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another week of On the Guest List with Fox trying to get down White Sox, Dave, Kenny, Carkeet, and Dante. This is take number two, as I just realized that we started recording the podcast and it wasn't recording. So welcome back to another week, the shit show that it is. Dave is turkey hunting. Dante's unavailable, but we do have a special guest host this week from Barstool Sports, Mr. Wayne Jetski. Jetski, how are we doing today, baby? I'm doing fantastic. And that was a great run back on the intro. It was flawless. You didn't skip a beat. So great job with the, uh, with the, with the second intro. The first one was like, you know, swinging with a batting weight. And the second one, I took it off. It felt great, exactly. honestly. Yeah, you need a little warm-up. Uh, speaking of needs a little bit of warm-up, he just took his bong hit on the first time, so I'm assuming he's not going to do it this time. We got Kenny Carkeet in the building. The Diamond Boy is here, baby. Let's go. Boy. Yeah, <laughs> another bong rip back-to-back and held a conversation with you guys. Uh, Kenny, now that you have your diamond plaque, are you done, like, dealing with our shit? Like, you got to stun on us and just drop it out? Yeah, I thought about just never talking to anybody ever again, just leaving and dipping <laughs> off the grid, you know. But uh, no, I'm here with you guys, man. This is fun. How many people called you that you haven't heard from in ages? You have no idea. You have Give no me a idea. number. I mean, a couple hundred, a lot. Like, you know, mainly because it's like on Facebook, on the DMs, or like just people who like you haven't seen in a million, which is people who show up. But the the real funny thing is there's like, you know, in this industry, you're like, your buddy is working with a big artist. You hit him up. You're like, yo, what's up? Let me get in. No response, no response, all this shit. You know how many fucking DMs I've gotten since I posted that diamond plaque from people being like, yo, Kenny, what's up, dude? You want to get in? And I'm like, oh, fucking ringy dingy, bro. Fuck oh, that's interesting, too, because what's the uh, what diamonds? 10 million units sold, right? Still in domestic, yeah. So it's not like you didn't have 9,900,000 in like <laughs> 85 or whatever. Like they, they didn't, you weren't killing it beforehand. It's so funny that typical, you needed verification. You know I mean? It's just, they're like, oh shit, it's real. It's like, then what do you think is fucking happening? <laughs> How many streams total do you think you have? Streams? Uh, streams. Dude, like in 2015, we hit the billion with a B mark on Pandora only. Right. What Spotify is almost at like half a bill. I don't know what iTunes or YouTube or on that shit. A lot. You're so you're so humble because I would have been like, it's a B, motherfucker, a billion. Let's go. I would have got it tatted on my face, a B. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you have any face tats yet? You're at the fucking stage. Go get a face tat right now. Married and about to have kids. (laughs) I think that fucking chicken's flown the coop. You know what I mean? (laughs) Kenny, if we get to a billion downloads on the podcast, will you get a face tattoo? Yes. Okay. What are you gonna get? Just Maybe get Billion Boy. Face. I don't know. Or Dante's face. Or Dave's even better. Get Dave's face on your face, face so that's dude. picture of Dave where he's just got the hot dog and the beer. Yeah. Oh, my God. Jetski, it's very, I'm very happy to have you here, dude. I said I was going to say this on Twitter, but one thing that has occurred since you came on last is you were right about Yeet. And, Kenny, this, this sentence might sound like Spanish to you, but <laughs> fucking Yeet blew the fuck up, and you were right. You called this back in, like, I don't know, like December or something like yep. Yeet blew the fuck up. Do you feel personally responsible for Yeet's success? Um, 
a little bit because I was putting people like I, I'm always like trying to be like the, the put on guy and let people know what like at least in rap music who's going to be on next but a lot of people were not like fucking with Yeet when I was trying to like put them on to and they're like this is like Playboy Cardi generation three like no I'm not fucking with it and then I don't know if it was there was one picture that he posted on his Instagram story with Drake or maybe Drake posted his him on his story and I was like oh it's, it's gone now I know he's going to be next up and then the whole Interscope signing happened and, and then I I kind of feel like people who were in the industry knew he was like next up, but now that he's mainstream, I do feel a little bit of like, I, I told you so to other people, but I'm, I'm proud of the guy, you know? Uh, I hope he doesn't do. overdose on, on Percocet because that's all he raps about, but <laughs> I like the music. Dude, I remember like when I, because you came on the first time and I was like, so who do you think is up next? And you're like, yo, this is going to sound weird, but his name is Yeet. Yep. Y-E-A-T. And I was like, all right, dude. Fucking sure, he's it's Yeet. I'm sure Yeet's the next guy. And then what? He that record went crazy. Uh, Kenny, if you don't know Yeet yet, I need to send this shit to you. This guy, all his music videos. I know, but I'm very like, into this conversation and fucking just the word Yeet. Yeah, <laughs> Yeet. Yeah. Um, next up, I don't Yurt. get any. <laughs> Yurt is next, obviously. But yo, no, I'm dead serious. I'm gonna send you some music videos. None of it makes sense. None of it makes sense at all. Editing's but, crazy. It's all like a lot of it, all these videos look like an, a bad a bad trip, a bad acid trip. Like it's it's wild. <laughs> so many crazy colors and animations going on. Bro, it's like animation, and then he for some reason he always turns into like remember the Capri Sun commercials from like Mad Long Ago where the kids just turned into like silver liquid and they just like that's what it, all his music videos have that shit in it. It's yeah. fucking weird, dude. I have no idea what it is, but Yeet is hot in the streets right now. I and should Jesse say was. A- I should say I I left this out. I think when he got the Cole Bennett video, which is such a like a uh, a staple now in like underground rap. Once you get the Cole Bennett video, you're kind of on. When I saw Cole Bennett tease, um, the first he shot two videos with him, but he shot one on an iPhone, and that's his like new thing right now, which is insane. Mm-hmm. Like I, I shoot like videos on not music videos, but everything on like a you know industry standard camera, and he's kill- making videos that get 10 million plus views in a day on an iPhone. Ridiculous. But when I saw that uh that promo, I was like, all right, it's 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 really up from here. Speaking of Cole Bennett, Kenny, did you see the new Justin Bieber song that just came out, directed by Cole Bennett? It's a minute and 15 seconds long. Ooh, no, I didn't, and that's what I'm talking about. Minute 15, let's go. No, it's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) The song's called called I Feel Funny, and it was definitely just made for TikTok. Like, that was its intention. That or this song is somebody just fucking around. Have you heard it yet, Jetski? I didn't. So I didn't realize it was a minute 15 seconds. I saw, like, something on social for it. I, ha- I hadn't watched it yet, but it did seem weird. It seemed, like, super meme It wasn't obviously not, like, a traditional Bieber thing. It was, like, I don't know. It, I didn't feel like it was the full song. I thought maybe that was, like, a an intro to the video, but I guess that's the full thing. Dude, I wish I could play it right now. Kenny, if you want to just look this shit up on YouTube and pull like, it up. Is there more? <laughs> no, I do the thing is I like Bieber. I do like Bieber, but this song kind of feels like OG Mako, bitch I guess or bitch you guessed it. Remember that song? Yeah. It's just yeah, got like yeah. that really simple piano beat. Like that's what it is. And it's Bieber songs Bieber probably gets, and how many of them are just fucking incredible songs. And he picked that one. <laughs> he picked that one. I don't know. Cole Bennett wanted it. It kind of reminds me of a Yeet song a little bit. I don't know. I don't know how Yeet became the center of the topic here, but uh let's move on. We do have an incredible interview today. Mentioned it in the original recording of this, but I didn't uh say anything about it yet but uh justin nace former drummer of paris now drum tech for the mighty slipknot is our interview today amazing interview found out midway through he's also from philadelphia so we became best friends uh kenny that's your boy anything to say about justin nace fucking love justin dude not only is he a a good dude he's a ripping drummer who has played stadiums and arenas and has all that and now he's teching under stadiums and arena it's fucking incredible he's a great great conversation 
great conversation. Funny dude, great convo. There's a lot of good uh, talk about interactions with Jared Leto that you guys both seemingly had. Yeah, uh, everybody's got a good Jared story, man. Positive or yeah. negative? I don't know if you want to divulge, but I've heard some some stories about Jared Leto. I just want to hear maybe like a quick synopsis of, of what your thoughts on him. Kenny, now that it's just the boys, why don't you let loose? He's a fucking weirdo, right? Oh, of course he's a weirdo. Okay, that's like, what I thought. Have you met? Have you seen anybody more narcissistic seeming than fucking Jared Leto? Like. Hmm. The story I'll tell, I can tell it really quick. The story, we were um, playing a festival in our green room, people kicking it, doing their thing, drinking. Everybody looks up and Jared Leto's just leaning against the wall in our room. <laughs> we're all like, oh, hi, Jared Leto. And he looks around the room, complete silence. And just all he says is, wow, your green room's really messy. And then he left. <laughs> that was it. That was my interaction with Jared. Fucking were you cool with like this... the 30 seconds to Mars guys previously? Or this is like, like really random that he went into your no, room? No, really, really, really random. Oh, wow. you know what I mean, like, there's just so much that goes with it. Like, because his brother is very well known as an asshole in the industry. And if I see somebody do more 360s with a guitar with balloons and confetti coming down, I'm going to fucking lose it. You know what I mean? Would you say, well, first off, does he drink or smoke? Like, or is he like a holistic, like I am like, because he's a vampire. We know that. He yep. doesn't drink or smoke. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't. I think like if you're that, like if you're just like living that lifestyle and you don't do anything, I kind of like have this weird trepidation to be like you're probably. I agree. I agree. Like I, I think, and that sounds like such a fucked up thing to say. Like, oh, if you're sober, you're like a weirdo. Not all sober people are weirdos, but I think if you're like someone who is stone cold sober, but you're engaging in like the party lifestyle as like a you know as a maybe this sounds bad, but like as a musician and, and you kind of are like seeming like it almost seems like you're fucked up, but you're just like into lurking around and, and being in the scene. I feel like it's a little bit weird. I don't know. It's like, yo, if you're not like, if you have an issue interview, what he said, he's a lurker. That's what the interview, the word we used in the interview. Jeremy really? Yep. Yeah. Look, if you're, if you have an issue with drinking your drugs, stay away from it. But if you're just like, Oh, I'm going to have like fucking 16, like pack washboard abs and tour the world. Like, it's kind of like, Loosen up a little bit, man. Like maybe have a little bit of fun from time to time. Like smoke weed with Kenny. Like Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. So a lot to get into today before we get into the interview. So much music dropping. I said it on last week's episode, but this was going to be the period of time where everybody started coming out of the woodwork and dropping crazy ass music. This Friday, we got new future. We got new action. Bronson just announced a new post Malone album is coming. Uh, which I'm actually kind of excited about. I I don't I'm not a hater on Post Malone. Some people are. Uh, first off, Jetski, your opinion on Post Malone? Um, I was big on him. Obviously, White Iverson dropped. I've always liked him and, and admired his like uh, what's it called? His his, his melodic uh, or his ear for melody and stuff. Um, he obviously got a lot of flack when he kind of went just went full pop star, and people were like, "Oh, you were masquerading as a hip hop act or whatever." I just kind of feel like. That's kind of sometimes what happens when you when, when you you get on you know the label pushes you in one direction. So I love Post Malone. I don't have anything negative to say about him. I love his music. Um, some people who are like I don't know more traditionalist in either genre, hip hop or or pop or rock, whatever, might have different um, uh, vantage points. But I think I think nothing but good things to the guy. I like Post Malone a lot. And I like that he's been popping up and like kind of like I don't know like he just went on stage with Billy Strings, who's this huge like bluegrass artist, and did a Johnny Cash song last week. He's always been a little bit on the edge of either side. Kenny, you. You, you hate everything. What do you think about Post Malone? I don't hate Post Malone. That's the thing. It's I feel like Post Malone, to me, came out swinging with some sick original dope shit. Kind of phoned it in for a little while. But I love his voice. I love his uniqueness. I love that there's 100 million videos of him doing nice shit for people mm -hmm. all over. Yeah, the seems like a good guy. Like everybody that I know who knows him says he's the nicest human being on earth. So just wrap that together. I like him. 
we could make the argument on the same side that Jetsky was just saying that some people were saying, like, oh, I think it's corny that, like, you used rap to get on and then you went and did other shit. You got more pop. To which we could use the same argument that we always use about Machine Gun Kelly saying, like, oh, you used, like, this rock angle to fucking leave rap, which was your thing originally, and that's what got you on. But the difference is, don't you believe Post Malone? Like, doesn't he seem like a genuine human yeah, that's being? The thing. Yeah, yeah. He's dishonest. Yeah, and I mean, so I am excited for the Post Malone album. He's the biggest artist in the world, arguably. But we got New Future on Friday, which I can't wait for. We got new Kendrick Lamar coming in two weeks, I believe, like, which is still fucking unbelievable to me. We got the new Pusha T album, which I fucking loved. That shit was uh, dope. I went online and said that I was going to start cooking drugs. So, I mean, you, you can tell I really enjoyed it a lot. But uh, past that, it's all, not only was it a great day for rap, it was a great day for rock. And I already mentioned his name once. That little bastard, Machine Gun Kelly, comes out and says he's going back to rap. He did exactly what I said he was going to do the entire fucking time. He literally took a detour, just came out in a statement, and said, you know, I've done my time in, in the rock world, but now it's time to go pick back up where I left off with my no Eminem disc. Yeah. I didn't hear that. Today. Yeah. Just announced it today. And I fucking called it. I called it this entire time. I saw this shit play by play. Play, knew it was going to happen because my brain is that fucking big. Kenny, me and you were right. Dante was wrong. I knew it the whole fucking time. I stick by my fucking story, man. I stick by my I story, baby. <laughs> well, it's funny because we have a member of the Slipknot crew on today and Slipknot were the first ones to come out and say, you don't even know what fucking world you're that in, Chief. It's so fun. Between him and Corey Taylor, so fun. First off, Corey Taylor will fucking eat that dude. Like, legit, like, skull fuck him. And so will 20,000 people in a fucking arena any night of the week. Yeah, I don't know. Look... And I will say this, I've softened slightly on my whole Machine Gun Kelly thing because I, oh, I said this a couple weeks ago, maybe I want to get away from being a hater for a minute. want to get away from the player haters ball a little bit. But when something like this announces today, I, I told you so. I fucking told you this is exactly what's going to happen. It's the exact same thing I always said about the Taylor Swift situation. She was going to do the country stuff and then the pop stuff and then go dark and edgy with reputation with the San Andreas script and then come back with the folky stuff because they just play with expectations. They play in different areas and they go back and they do the same tire bullshit all the time. Jessica, your opinion on the entire Machine Gun Kelly going back to rap thing? I think that uh, it's crazy. Un very unexpected. Uh from my opinion, I thought that once he got out of rap, like he wasn't ever going to go back. And and he, with the first punk album he did or pop punk album, whatever you want to call it, he obviously got like a decent amount of positive feedback. And then he started doing like all the, the fuckery online. And now it seems like the, the, the rock community, the punk community has since like turned on him. I don't know if the rap community is now going to be like welcoming back for like with open arms. I don't know. It's crazy. I, I, did not expect this, and I would think it's probably not the best move for him. I think he was seeing success, probably more success than like from like a record uh, sales standpoint that he than he ever oh, would yeah. rap with the punk shit. So I don't know how it's going to pan out. Kenny, can I ask your opinion on this? Do you think this was a a fucking situation where they were sitting in a record label office with like beakers and fucking I don't know like. Uh, what are these things called? The the abacus, and they were moving abacus. beads around, and they were like, "I feel like we could squeeze a few more million out of you." Switched back now. Like, do you think this was a record label decision, or do you think this was him going deep artistic? First off, somebody like that's usually always a record label decision. Mm. Fucking powers that be. Secondly, could it have been planned? Absolutely. Could it be that he just like doesn't like getting shit on so much? I mean. He went from like kind of being a thing in rock. To, I mean, what from what I see, every comment on every post, I check them. They're all haters. They're all everybody fucking hates his guts. And I don't know that rap really welcomed him the first time around. Yeah. Mm. So I, he may have dug his own grave by jumping ship so many times. And 
I don't know. I this could be a situation where he goes back and gets hate the other direction, and maybe I feel bad for the guy. I don't know. He was just such a pompous dickhead when he came over to the other side. A new article today about oh, we drink each other's blood for ritual or some shit like that. I commented, like, I eat my wife's shit for fun. Who's the weird (laughs) (laughs) I kind of feel like low-key, the Megan Fox shit, like, was his downfall. Like, not getting, like, when he was first dating her in the beginning, like, and they weren't all in the headlines, like, everyone's like, this guy's the man. He just switched genres. He's killing it, dating Megan Fox. And then, like, they just couldn't get off your newsfeed. And now, like, everyone fucking hates him. Obviously, he has had some other antics, but... What's funny is in this entire situation, I never hear Megan Fox say, I never see like an interview with her. It's just like quotes. And it's part of me is like, were these quotes like fake? Like, are they fake? And every time they're proven to be real. And I, best, it, that one weed quotes, the best one. Oh, I, I am weed. weed. I am weed. <laughs> he goes, I am weed. Like, don't make me like him. Fuck. That's a sick ass quote. And the <laughs> fact that that's how he got her is that's such a fucking stunt move. Like, you know, at that moment when he was having all the record sales from fucking the pop punk album, and then he said, I am weed to Megan Fox, he was like, I am God. Like, <laughs> I, I, I have to be God. Like, this is nothing can go this well for this long. But I don't know. Maybe I'm starting to soften. Maybe I'm starting to feel a little bit bad for the guy. I'm just interested to see how this goes. I don't know. Like, I, I'm, I'm stuck in the middle here. But I mean, other than Machine Gun Kelly, I just saw something really interesting break right before this, but it was just announced that Travis Scott is going to be headlining his first festival since the Astroworld thing. He's going to be uh, headlining a festival. I think it's in Brazil and Chile. I think like it's like a, a big like uh, South American festival, but he's one of the main headliners. Do we think that that's like, are, this goes back to the original argument. Like how much of the responsibility is he bearing? Like, could you imagine what that's like to go back on stage in front of that many people and like just being so afraid that something horrific is going to happen again? Like, I don't know, Jetski, like did you, first off, did you see that this news broke? That he was performing? No, I've obviously saw the, the Astro World fiasco, but I think anytime Travis, I don't think there's going to be like a booze for Travis Scott. I, I've seen Travis Scott live. I think in the realm of rap music, he's probably one of the best live performers they are, even though, I mean, he has like the whole live autotune thing. If you like that, you don't, it's, I don't know. But I think his live show is fantastic. So I think he, he'll be fine. I don't think he's probably nervous and I'm sure he'll have the measures in place to not have anything tragic happen. So I think he's going to shut down whatever stage he sets on. Kenny, have you, did you ever have anything kind of crazy happen at one of your shows? Like one of the big shows like where like things get out of hand like that um we've had shit happen with like where we had to stop a show because security was being too rough with people there's so many facets of it um we've got like letters from people saying like i got crushed against the barricade at your show you know two weeks ago whatever like things like that like post dated but um you know i it always like you said it goes back to whose responsibility is it and you know my brain goes to i've played a lot of shows a lot of big shows and like it's just so hard to know what's happening or know the gravity of what's happening. But I mean, people were telling him, I don't know. You'd had to. Obviously, obviously it was a fucking tragedy. Obviously it was, there's no debate on that. And obviously this it's affected everybody in such a large way. I'm just speaking more of like thinking from the perspective of the artist. Like every time you go on stage after that, you're probably thinking like, holy shit, like this could happen at any moment. You know what I mean? Like, especially in the kind of environment, his shows are ragers, dude. He fucking, those fans go nuts. But I mean, I wonder if it's been enough time. I'm kind of amazed that a festival this year put him on as a headliner. I thought it probably would have taken a little bit more time than that, but I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens moving forward because he does have new music coming. Utopia will be coming out. We'll see what happens. I don't know. I'm happy for the guy that he's getting back on stage. I just hope that everything goes well for him when he goes back. And that's not usually the angle that we take on this show. We usually go a little more hardcore one way or the other, but I don't know. Like I feel, I, I genuinely feel for all the parties involved. Like this has to just be such a mind fuck for him. It's obviously a mind fuck for everything that happened, but like, God I think damn. he makes a statement when he comes out on stage for the first time. Like, we'll say, you know, I want to 
you know, issue my condolences to everyone that was hurt uh, or, or lost their lives in Astro World. Do you think he just completely stays silent and goes on with the show? I think the thing to see. I think I think the worst thing you could do would be to ignore it. Yeah. Because it's what everybody's going to be thinking about. Um, and plus, it kind of gives him an opportunity to set the record straight and say, like, you are not doing this shit anymore. Like, we're going to fucking have a community here. We're going to have a great show. But let's all fucking tone it down a smidge. Let's fucking have a good time. But not go that wild. But I don't know. There's a lot of bands that get wild at shows, man. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, once again, it's just great to have festivals back. Coachella weekend two was past, this past weekend. Didn't see anything spectacular come out of that. The first weekend looked like way more of a fucking shit show. I will say, though, who um, was a Billie Eilish fucking ran the entire festival. She brought Haley Williams out on stage to do an acoustic track, which was dope as fuck. Um, I got a lot of love for Billie Eilish, dude. She did a great job. Uh, other than that, didn't really see anything crazy. Uh, I'm excited for like the good festivals to get started. Bonnaroo should be coming in the summer. We got Firefly coming up. There's a lot of festivals that happen. Uh, Jeski, do you have any shows booked or anything like that? No, nah, nothing yet right now. I'm trying to work on some things in uh, in Long Island, and maybe there, there might be a uh, there's a spot in Long Island called uh, Fire Island called Flynn. So I'm talking to a couple people there and, and try to set up some things over the summer. So, so anybody who's uh, who's on the Long Island air, stay tuned for some for some beach shows. There's like a strip of uh, a barrier islands that uh, have pretty good uh, nightlife. So I'm trying to set some stuff up there. You know, you're a New York guy when you say on Long Island, not in yeah, Long yeah, Island. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I've I've learned that. I, I've always would have said in Long Island. But uh, Kenny, speaking of shows, do you have have you can soften it? all in your position do you think you're gonna go back oh no <laughs> i think i've strengthened my position you know did well, the diamond plaque strengthen it at some point in time probably but like i just have no uh yearn to go leave for months on end well especially when you got fucking babies on the way it's probably hard to pull yourself That's away from that part of it yeah, loser. Uh, all right, let's get into our interview with Justin Nace. We'll come out, we'll do on the list, off the list, maybe a little bit of what the fuck we've been listening to, but this is our interview with Justin Nace. Yeah! How you feeling? Yeah! You feel all, right? all right, ladies and gentlemen, on the guest list today, you may know him as the drummer from Paris, and he is now the drum tech for the mighty Slipknot. We got Justin Nace on the podcast, brother. How you doing today? Good. How are you guys? Fucking great, man. Uh, we always like to do an intro when Kenny brings somebody on, and I'll get to that in a minute, but I do have a question just on a technical standpoint I have to ask you. Mm -hmm. As the drum tech for Slipknot, do they give you your own clown mask or do you just got to bring your own? Like, what's the deal? <laughs> it's strictly uh, bring your own and provide yourself. I did. I was not provided with a mask, no. Sadly, Aww. I was not. Yeah. <laughs> so fucking sick. <laughs> Dude, I literally asked Kenny that off the air. I was like, yo, do you think he, they gave him a clown mask? Like, do, do you funny, think I, like there's bands like um, uh, Flaming Lips, all their techs wear the same exact outfit that that band member is going to wear at that show. <laughs> so you get super confused <laughs> as to who's really in the. Yeah, band. I remember even doing a few festivals with, uh, I know, like 21 Pilots for a stint, all their techs. This is before even the pandemic. They were all wearing masks, like bandanas and like the same clothes. And they were all like, they had a uniform going. It was really tight, honestly, because I saw that tour too. And like, you're yeah. like, dude, they look hard. Yeah, yeah that whole yeah. trench era, they were doing some wild militant shit where they were just yeah. all like, oh, that's so sick. But dude, yeah. seriously, thank you for being here today. We have a lot to cover and a lot of questions because we don't get the tech side a lot. We get either like managers, artists, all this shit. And you're an artist, but you're also now a tech for one of the biggest bands in the entire world. So a lot to cover, but I'd like to do this when Kenny brings people on because he loves to bring people on. How do you guys know each other? Like, how did, how did this come about? We actually met years ago. Uh, we toured together. So my band that I was playing for at the time, Paris, 
uh, we were both, and obviously AWOL Nation, we were both opening for Fallout Boy on one of their runs back in 2016, I believe. And uh, yeah, so that's how we actually met. That was, uh, I think, our first, that was maybe our first, I don't think it was your first, but I think it was our first arena tour, which is such a, like, its own monster. Yeah, I mean, that was ours as well. That was the first, because I mean, like, Paris kind of, we started in 2014, and, you know, it was like, we went from, like, van and trailer playing to absolutely nobody. Then the following year, it was like, cool, we did the whole Warp Tour, and they bumped us up to main stage, and then it was just like, hey, Fallout Boy wants to take you out. And we're just like, what? Yeah, so it was pretty <laughs> wild to go from like nothing to like playing Madison Square Garden, you know? So it's pretty wild. Dude, it was tight too. Like on those tours, Colin, Colin plays in a band called Foxtrot and the Get Down and they're working their way up to where we've been. Mm. Um, so I like to give him the little tidbits of like what to expect when he's doing arena tours. And like a band like Fallout Boy, they fly in day of show, mm. you know, an hour before set time. So the rest of the day, it's the openers hanging out all day. So we become we became close with the Paris group and, and had a good time watching them and playing around and eating catering and making jokes yep. and all that kind of funny shit. Honestly, I've, I've done one stadium in my life. We opened for Bon Jovi. And Hell the yeah. catering was the most shocking thing of all. There was a fucking spit-roasted pig in the stadium that we played. And I'm so used to like eating Chick Fil A before a show, just like fucking like shoving anything in my face. Really st stuck with me all these years. That was pretty incredible. Why is it that like these are the things that we remember? It's not like wow, the show was amazing. It's like, dude, they had a roasted pig and pasta backstage. Like it's yep. the wildest shit. Because you know which venues take care of you and which ones don't. Because then when you come back, you're like, I remember this place and it sucked. Or Sucks, like, dude. oh, this was awesome. This is the best part. They have the best showers after the show. You know, like oh. things like that where you're like, that's what I care about. I remember, <laughs> I'm trying to go just the things I remembered about that tour. This was like the first time Justin and I played together. Um, I think it was Pete Wentz's bodyguard, Matt Bro. Yes. Right? The big, huge jack guy. And everybody would come up and be like, fuck you. And start doing push-ups and be like, beat this bitch. Or like, because he had like workout machines outside his room and shit. Like, yeah, they had like a pretty strict regimen. Because I remember their uh, Andy, their drummer, like he was big into CrossFit. So that dude had a whole setup every day. And just like, they were all trying to get yoked up. I remember too, the interactions I had with Fallout Boy, they were all super nice people. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. The nicest dudes. I mean, like both like, Joe and those guys would come to our bus every once in a while and just to say hello and what's up and whatnot. And like, they were always very super sweet, you know, whenever you'd run into them and shit. So it's, excuse me. I don't know if you guys have no. a no custom policy. Oh no, no, no. We, shit's about to get wild, brother. Yeah, right. You have no idea. Uh, yeah. All right. Well then hold on. Let's go true on the guest list fashion. If fallout boy was so nice, who's the biggest asshole band you ever toured with? Let's get with that. Oh, Kenny, go no. ahead. Go ahead, Kenny. Why don't you go? Okay. Okay. Um, Probably straight off the cuff without having to think too hard. Probably 30 seconds to Mars. Oh, no shit. Which is not a big, which is like everybody kind of knows. And honestly, it wasn't really Jared. Jared, nice guy, weird guy. His brother Shannon was a fucking cocksucker that nobody liked. <laughs> <laughs> which again is a known thing. So whatever. yeah, uh, we actually, so that we toured with them as well. We did, it was us, them and Muse. And we did like amphitheaters and whatnot. And same thing. It was just like Muse was just like, they'd show up for that show. They'd roll in on their trucks. And once they were done, they'd just be out in the, in the SUVs and they'd be gone. And that was such a weird one because it was like five months of a tour where we'd only do like five or six dates 
like once a month. So we were just like, as Paris, we're just like filling dates where we were like, all right, here's five shows wherever. And then we're going to fly to Europe and do this. And we're going to go to Australia and then come back and then do like, so it went from like May till September. But <clears throat> Jared, I don't know. Those guys are very nice to us. We didn't have any problems. Same thing. He was very strange. Like our <laughs> first interaction, just like short little story was we were in, um, uh, um, Austin and we played like the 360 amphitheater. That's what it was called at the time where it's like the racetrack right next to it. And I'm walking to our bus and this dude just like straight up looking homeless. It's just like stood at the front of our bus, like peeking around. And I'm like, what the fuck is this dude? And then all of a sudden he like turns around and I'm like, Oh shit, that's Jared Leto. And he just like kind of scurries <laughs> off. So I go it's and like, we're just, sat, we're just sat at our, like, we have lawn chairs outside of our bus and we're just shooting the shit with a couple of us. And I'm like, that was Jared. He was just like peeking around our bus at us. And all of a sudden he comes floating by and I swear to God, it was like, he was just floating and he just like <laughs> comes through and he comes walking back out to like re reestablish the situation. And he's just like, what's up guys. And we're all like, Hey, you know, and it was our first time meeting him and I was stood closest to him. So I'm just like, Hey, I'm Justin. And he's wouldn't shake my hand. He just gives a pound. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And then he gave everybody a pound, you know, and then he's like, our photographer Vogel at the time sat there with like the biggest lens on his camera he's got. And he's like, you shooting some pictures? And he's just like, uh, no. yeah, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. And then he like made a joke about like a Prius on the, on the track. I, I don't know, but it was like very nice. <laughs> but then throughout the tour, it's like, he went from like only giving us a pound to that to like the last show, he gave everybody a hug and was just oh, like cool. nice and genuine. But like, and then he took our photographer Vogel out all around the world for a couple of years and he like became their photographer. At one Everybody knows Matty Vogel. What a exactly. legend in the, the industry. Highly sought after, incredible photographer too. I've told this story on the cast before of a similar Jared Leto uh, experience where like we're playing some festival in an amphitheater and we're sitting in our green room and there's like, there's girls and there's food and there's all this stuff and we're doing our thing. And then all of a sudden we look up and Jared Leto's just standing at our door. Just at the wall. What? Not saying a word. And we're like, Oh, hi, Jared Leto. And the only thing he said to us was, wow, your green room's really messy. And then he left. <laughs> Are we sure Jared Leto's real or is he just an apparition that shows up to fuck with that? He floats and he just appears. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, man. I and think he's, he's so got like AI like, or something. Like, and he's just by it. You're like, oh. You also have to understand that Jared Leto could be the nicest guy ever, but Kenny has the most like punchable face of all time. So it, it, be fair, AWOL... We weren't assholes, but like we were like we are on this podcast. We're like, we don't really care. Like, everybody's so fucking serious all the time. <laughs> I run into some assholes in my time, but you know what? Let's let's move on to fucking greener pastures here. And and Justin, we're so happy to have you on here today, man, because Kenny brought this up too. To watch your journey going from touring and drumming and doing all that to now basically running the drum set up for fucking slipknot how did this come about like was this an opportunity you always wanted to be a tech or was this just like the perfect scenario where they come to you and say hey you want to run slipknot's rig like how did this happen um i mean obviously playing and performing has always been like my goal and that's what i love to do and i did that with paris for you know six years plus um and then end of 2019 ended up getting let go Long story, mm. blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into it. But uh, yeah, so it's pretty devastating, you know, and just kind of came out of nowhere. And then long story short, had a pretty dumpy 2020 where it was just mm. like, I had my ex-girlfriend broke up with me in November. Paris let me go in December, right the week before Christmas. And I was just like, oh, Merry Christmas. And then it went from right after that, my father passed in, 20, in February of 2020. 
And then two weeks later, the pandemic like rolled on and it was just like a whirlwind of like, what is going it's like on? Like if you just, had no luck, you'd have no, or if you had, didn't have bad luck, you'd have no luck. No at luck all. at all. Which yeah. is why I will say, cause we won't go deep into this. Cause I don't like to go too deep into it either. But Justin and I got to bond a little bit on that AWOL fallout boy Paris tour. Cause we were both kind of in the same boat. We're like, we were part of the band. We weren't really part of the band. We didn't really know what was happening or what the future was holding. And then I got let go at the end of 2016 and then three months later my father-in-law died and blah 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 and had to figure out what i was going to do and all that stuff so anyway we've been we've got to bond about a lot of this kind of shit but continue yeah so i mean exactly and i'm like i'm glad that i was just like in instances like that you know that you're not alone because a lot of people go through similar things and 2020 brought on such an onset of so much like disdain and crap for everybody across the board especially the music industry because everything was just shut down so it wasn't just me so that was almost a silver lining and knowing that i wasn't alone like at, at the beginning of it i was like fuck like what am i gonna do i need something i want to get back out on the road like i miss it so much and then all of a sudden it was just like everybody's in the same boat that i am like nobody knows what's going on yeah. you know so we spent <clears throat> all of 2020 being like <laughs> Who, who, who's to say what and who knows when this is going to, you know, kick back up again, you know, and then 2021 was something where I was just like, okay, people are trying it. They're starting to get back out there. Stores are starting or you know, tours are starting to get announced and whatnot. And at that point, I still, you know, it was just like, I was doing things on my own with like my print shop through my art and trying to just get by, but still trying to find like what's next for me because, you know, I want to get back out on the road and playing, you know, and through the pandemic, I just started taking on like learning the production side of like recording drums and trying to do that kind of stuff because it was like, all right, if I could learn to do this remotely, this will give me an option that while the pandemic's going on, we could just collaborate with other artists and send things back and forth and do, you know, just some music together while also staying safe. And, you know, when you can't be in studios and such of course, like man. Um, but yeah, in I guess summer of 2021, I got a call from Jay and to wait, like, wait, Jay, like the Jay. Jay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So him and I have been friends for years now. So oh, we've known each other. Where did you meet Jay? Start there. <laughs> so that started when we were rehearsing in Nashville um, as Paris. And we just happened to go to a coffee shop um, in the morning. And we were heading into rehearsals. We're sat there and blah, blah, blah. We're, we're in line. And all of a sudden, this girl comes up to us. She's like, hey, are you guys Paris? And we're like, yeah. He's like, oh, uh, my boyfriend and I were really big fans. Uh, he plays in this band called Slipknot. We're like, <laughs> a band called Slipknot, right? And we're just That's like, what? the most national like, fucking story of all yeah. time, dude. Like, oh yeah, you know, he drums for, like, he would love to meet you guys. Can you guys, like, is it cool if he comes here and says hello? And at the time, we were already, like, on our way to rehearsals, and our manager's like, well, um, we don't really have time now, but if he wants to come to Soundcheck, everybody knows Soundcheck. If, you wanna, if he wants to come there, he can come say hello. And he did. So we ended up hanging out there. He came back to our Airbnb, so we were always hanging out while we were there. And him and I just, like, we hit it off. We've been friends you know, ever since. So like he would come to see our shows whenever we would play in the area. I'd go out to see his shows when he'd play in the Philly area. And we just stayed connected for all those years, you know, and similar to you and I, Kenny, we were, he went through similar stuff, you know, with different bands and whatnot. And he helped me a lot when Paris, when I, you know, when that whole thing happened, you know, just guiding me through it and like giving me good information and what, as to like how to go about it and to look positively with it. I don't want to cut you off. Are you from Philly? Yes. Where? So <laughs> I lived in Old City. Right now I'm outside of the city, but yeah, I lived on Third and Arch. Dude, I'm from Northeast Philly, born and raised. I'm in, I'm in Maniunk right now. Holy shit, let's go. Yeah. Where are you? I don't want to like dox you or anything like that, but where oh, are good. you? 
Yeah, so I'm between Philly and Allentown right now. So I'm oh, like, shit. yeah, yeah. I yep. told you you'd like this guy. Fuck <laughs> yeah, dude. Let's go. Hell yeah. No, this is awesome. All right, continue. Well, you know, I didn't want to say anything, but I hear a little bit of the Philly accent in you, so I knew it. Well, yeah, because I'm doing I'm doing the whole hosting thing right now where I'm like, yeah, this is nice to meet you. Oh. Yeah, dude. Hold on. Let me fucking go here real quick, dude. This is sick. I can't even <laughs> believe this. Here, dude. Yeah, this is wild. Are you did you go to high school in the city? Uh no. No, no, no. So I grew up about an hour. So I, I grew up in Quakertown. Yeah, yeah, so, no, yeah. I, I went to Westchester University, so like I'm that way, dude. Mm-hmm. This is sick. Kenny's got the weed now. We're yeah. boys. This is what I'm talking about. We're getting rolling. So yeah. I just want to say this. Good, good. Nobody cares about Philly. Shut the fuck up. Fuck Nobody you, dude. About, about, so bite your tongue, bro. Yeah, dude. Fucking watch your mouth, or I'm gonna come out to LA and beat your ass, dude. Uh, all right. So not to get sidetracked from the Philly talk, but I just wanted to say, dude, I've spent a ton of time in Nashville. It's like my second home. That is the most Nashville story of all time. It's oh my god, I'm a huge fan. Also, my boyfriend is bigger than you. <laughs> it's like my boyfriend's in Slipknot. So yeah. All right. So when you're, did you really start playing drums in Slipknot? He started in 2013. Oh, it was that long ago. For some reason, yeah. So it's been like eight years now. So he started when. So him and I are the same age. So he started when he was twenty-three. You know, joining Slipknot at twenty-three years old. Pretty crazy. How the fuck do you get? How did? How did he get picked up in Slipknot? How did that happen? If you know, uh, I don't know the exact like roundabout, but obviously they were auditioning a couple different people at the time. You know, and. They went through that. I mean, I don't want to speak to it because I don't know the exact idea of it. But, you know, between like him and V-Man, it was just like they knew people through, you know, text, knowing knowing other guys through all the different bands. And I mean, like, you know how it is with the music world. It's just like such a small world. Everybody knows each other or has worked with somebody here and there. What Um, like crazy shoes to fill, not even in like just skill, but like such a particular style. mm. Of for sure course. you know what i mean like that's i mean that must be difficult to try to replace joey with anybody yeah, absolutely you know and it's just like i give him a world of credit because of the shoes that he is filling and how big of you know like a thing that is because of joey being such you know like a legend in the music especially the metal world for drummers and just musicians alone you know all together um so i mean yeah and the fact that like those dudes obviously saw him and knew that he'd be able to do it and put their faith in him. And it's, you know, like he kills it. So it's just, it's pretty wild. That's so sick. That's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even like a diehard metal guy. Like I like, I like slip on a lot, but like I, I tend to gravitate to more, you know, I've got Springsteen sit behind me. I'm more in that world, but there were. So do you know that Jay's dad is the drummer for Bruce Springsteen? Boom, boom, boom. What? Max? Yeah. He's Max Max Weinberg. Yeah, that's Jay, Jay Weinberg. Boom. What? Yeah. No. Shut I did the not fuck know up. Yeah. I did not know that. That's his dad. So you're telling me that the offspring of Max Weinberg is fucking raging out in stadiums with a clown mask on. Yeah. <laughs> rock band in the entire world. One of the one of the biggest rock bands in the Oh, I mean, I mean, at this point though, on a legacy side, like Slipknot might be the most important band in the like I, I just that is mind-blowing to me and this is why justin's here this is awesome god damn it so all right so now have you first off does max ever come to a show i haven't met him yet no 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 <laughs> no oh uh, but yeah that. so i mean it's with covid and everything it's been very weird and we we've not even been allowed to have like guests 
and whatnot. You know what I mean? So it's just like some of the members, they have their wives that travel with them and whatnot, but it's just been very locked down. So it's like no friends and family, that kind of stuff. So yeah, sadly, know you know, tour stuff, there's a lot of still massive stuff like that. I want to go oh, to um, some of that stuff because we don't get a lot of guests either on the artist or the tech side who are, are part of productions that large. Right. And I'm real curious, you know, I've done arena tours and I've seen big productions, but Slipknot is a whole nother fucking thing. Like what, if you don't mind, like quickly, like, what's load in time. Do you have your own tech? How many crew are on the, on the list? Like what, what buses, trucks, like what's that look like? Um, I mean, it's, Definitely the biggest thing that I've ever seen or been a part of. It was pretty surreal because, I mean, for me, I, I've never teched before. So I went from Paris. It's like I teched myself for six years just doing my own setup, everything like that. And then I'm coming into this world where it's like, hey, you know, you're filling in the shoes of the guy that's been with Slipknot. He did Foo Fighters for 12 plus years. He did 311. And you're going to tech for Jay. And I'm just like, oh, crap. Like, I, I you know, I'm going to do my best. It's like I've never teched for anybody before um so it was like all right this is and then the first day was just like it was we did a festival and it was a 6 a.m load in everybody's just piling on to this like big commuter bus and i'm just like hey hey nice to meet you like 40 plus people you know i was like i've never met any of these people so i'm just forgetting names and whatnot and uh it's wild i mean like we have i mean at least eight to maybe like eight semi trucks worth of like production oh stuff uh, we have at least four crew buses all oh the band like the band members there's at least another six buses give or take oh, so it's 10 buses 10 trucks 40 crew yeah so, i mean lo yeah load in like yeah chalk and walk is like maybe 7 a.m seven to eight o'clock you know where they start all the rigging um all that i mean it's just crazy to see when you go into these arenas just like how much work is involved with just setting it up every day and you give the most credit to those guys because it's they're the first ones there and they're the last ones out at the end of the night that are i want to bring up like what we've talked about in this podcast a lot is that like i don't want to go deep into covid but like you know poor restaurants small businesses all this shit. nobody talks about music no and one people that one production employs for months, years on end, and like to go to zero, it's like, dude, what a forgotten industry during this whole thing. Anyways. Yeah, I'm but no, I mean, like even to touch on that, that was like the hardest thing for me to swallow when when you saw like, you know, everybody going out and they're like, oh, okay, well, we're starting, like things are getting back open or like I'm back to the office now, like things are going to be fine or like I've adjusted just working from home. I have a home office. It's good. Yeah, yeah. But like nobody's like saying anything about the dudes that are just like literally not allowed to do anything. They're stuck at home because all of their income is just based on being on the road, yeah. you know? And then it's just like, they just like kind of put that to a side and like, oh, everybody, everybody's fine. We're back to normal. Yeah, we'll not to mention outside. the fact, not to mention the fact that we are in an, like, just like a youth-based, appearance-based, this is just my own thought here, a youth-based, appearance-based fucking industry where you really only get one shot to make a first impression. We talk about this all the time, right? I got the last two years of my fucking 20s taken away from me because of the fucking virus. So not only that, I have to sit at home and people are kind of like, okay, so what's your plan B? It's like, motherfucker, I don't have a plan B. I've been beating my fucking ass trying to make it in this industry and I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing because I, I can't. And I always felt bad for the bands who were just about to break. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. You, can't, you can't do that twice. That's no. Tough. White yeah, Reaper. Bands I, we always on, yeah, they were working on albums and all of a sudden the pandemic comes and it's like, 
do we even bother releasing it? Then it's like you get radio silence and that just like disrupted so much stuff for people that were like just barely getting by being on the road or maybe like working a second job when they're off the road, they can't sustain that. So when everything's gone, it's just like, do we just throw in the towel? And I watched a lot of friends suffer from that. And it sucks because to witness that, you know, and you're like, I was thankful enough that like being on the road and playing as a musician got me, you know, kept me afloat without requiring anything else, you know, but like some of those people that were doing those, you know, double dipping of stuff and then you just lose half of it. It's like, what do you do? You know, you just go get a full-time job somewhere in an office, you know? It's so gnarly. Okay. Let's go back into the show. How many bands do they normally bring out with them on a run? One, two, sometimes three. What is that? Uh, so last year, the first run that we did was, um, it was three openers. So it was like code orange three fever, three, three, three and kill switch engage. What? Yeah. So it was those three. Wait, with, uh, with Jesse back in it. Yes. Yep. Oh, oh boy. It was awesome. Those guys are absolutely just like album quality every single night. They kill it. You know? Okay. Continue. Who else has, has they been out with? Um, so that was the last tour. This current tour that we just finished up, the first leg of it was um, the opener was uh, Wage War, um, which young dudes from Florida, they're absolutely, they smash it. Originally, it was supposed to be this band called Ginger, um, yep. but they are from the Ukraine. And mm. miserable, sadly, you know, half of the band is still over there right now. And it's, you know, they weren't able to do the tour. So it's really sad. Um, so last minute, they ended up having Wage War fill the gap for that. And then the uh, direct was in this moment. Oh Um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So it was those guys. And then our next, next uh, leg, which starts a couple weeks from now, uh, it is this someone by the name of horror, but it's like, yeah, Yeah, I'm not exactly, I'm not too familiar with them. Um, And then Cypress Hill is (laughs) the direct support. Yes. What? Yeah. Dude, immediately after I did that Fallout Boy arena run with you, I did an arena run with Prophets of Rage, which was Rage Against the Machine with yeah. D-Real and uh, Chuck D on vocals yeah. and stuff. And like in the middle of the show every night, they would stop, Rage would leave the stage and it would just be Chuck and B and they would do Public Enemy and Cypress Hill songs. And just to hear B fucking do that song. And then, quick little story, Weed Smoke. As far as you can see in every room of the entire arena, I smoke weed every day. I never got to smoke weed with Be Real until the very last day. I finally somehow got invited to go smoke with B. I got it was like 20 minutes before set time. Oh my I, god. Can't say no. Right? And you can't be like, okay, I'm good. I'm done. I'm high enough. Like I smoked so much weed with him and went on stage directly and i'll never forget that moment in my life anyway that's gonna be fucking awesome and good on cypress for being like slipknot fuck yeah let's go i think profits really bridged some of that rock rap touring gap maybe Mm, for sure yeah i feel like slipknot has such a wide like eclectic mix of fans you know where it's like they're very open to a lot of different stuff or like you know willing to see like you know that the people that get there early to see some of these bands that are opening and like oh I, I dig these guys you know and you see kids just losing their minds to like wage war every night or whatever it would be or like you know at uh not fest in iowa last year they had tech nine you know who's like obviously oh, on like the rap or the suicide boys who was like on the rap side of it but people were loving it you know so it's like it's a big mix undeniable bands that every everybody respects the fuck yeah. out of yeah the really cool thing and what a I, cool group to be i mean obviously i don't know any of that crew personally but like it seems like what a cool 
thing to be a part of in any aspect, really, of something that massive and that crazy. That's fucking nuts. And I will say, you actually do know somebody because our front of house is Bob Strakel. Strakel! And Bob just actually, <laughs> and I want to shout out because he said to tell you hello because he just called me today uh, about like an hour or so ago. And he's like, oh, tell Kenny I said hello. So, Love yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I came into this crew thinking like I knew pretty much nobody. But like, I knew Jay yep. and I knew Bob. And I've worked with like the production manager, Rob, he had worked with Bring Me Horizon when we toured with them. So I ended up knowing more people than I did, you know, and one of their managers, Britt, uh, I've known, you know, I knew her. So it's like, okay, I'm not completely lost or like, I like, hello, you know, I, I wasn't rolling into this gig being like, oh, nice to meet you, sir. Like, I'm, you know, I'm here, I'm in your employee. Like Jay and I already had a rapport and we were already friends. So we already established that. So like coming into it was nice that it was like, okay, we have a relationship already. I'm going to do the best that I can for you and make sure that you're happy. You know, and we're just both going to be able to like, also like hang out, you know what I mean? Like on an off day or whatever it would be, you know, it's like hectic and busy as it is, you know, it's like, we have that opportunity. It's like, yo, what are you doing today? You know, like we yeah, can yeah, yeah. Be able to hang out I, and like do that. I couldn't imagine jumping into a production like that and not knowing the person you're going to tech for. Like what a lucky situation, I guess, to like be going out with your friend who like can help you. Cause like, if you're like first day, you're like, Hi, I'm so and so. I'll be sitting behind you every fucking night, and I don't know your visual cue. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, for I sure. Mean, but I mean, that was like it was a cool thing for him to be like hit me up one day, and I was just like driving. He's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, uh, "Just here," you know. And at the time, I was potentially doing a small run to play drums for uh, for one of my buddy's friends uh, or one of my friends' bands. And uh, you know, Jay was like, "Hey, would you want a drum tech for me?" He's like, I know you've never done it. And the way that he prefaced it too was very nice and sincere where he's just like, you're a fucking killer drummer. And you're, to me, you're a drummer first and foremost. And I want to see you playing drums, but this is an opportunity that one, gets you back out on the road, you know, we'll get you paid so that, you know, you're back doing what you love to do, you know, and we get to hang out and hopefully this like will lead to other things, you know? So like, I'm very happy and thankful that he gave me that opportunity because at the time, I was struggling to like, what am I going to do? Of course, man. Being around drums, man. That's just, it's incredible. And I, and I kept meaning to, um, and I keep wanting to instill how good of a drummer you are. Colin and I yesterday, when you just oh. bail on us, LOL, inside <laughs> joke. Um, what a story. What if, <laughs> what oh, a 420 yeah. moment for me to blow that. I was like, <laughs> I wasn't even smoking and I'm just like, Ever since I got home, I have, I'm terrible when it comes to dates. And like, there's even this last run, like, I just don't, I never know what day it is because you just, just like, mm. we're in arenas every day. You don't see the sunlight. And there's Dude, times I'm catering and I'm just like, what day is it? You don't have to life turn on, to somebody in line. Life on tour is like a casino. There's no windows. There's yeah. no clock. You have no idea oh, where yeah. the fuck you are. Big time. So like. All time on tour is when I start to get real pissed off every day. Cause that's about the three week mark. Yep. Right at about three weeks is when my attitude starts to change that I've learned. But okay, hang on. I got to recap a couple of things. One, Bob Strakel. Yeah. Bob did front of house for AWOL for a lot of years. Was he, I think, was he on that run with us with Paris? Mm -hmm. right. That's how I first met him. Yeah. I've never heard anybody mix drums like Bob Strakel in my entire life. And I've never got to hear him. He's the absolute goat. Yeah. And I have not, never got to hear him mix Slipknot. Him mixing Isaac Carpenter in AWOL was a fucking treat and a half. Yeah. Also, absolute legend of what he does. Right, the way Isaac hits and shit. So also, I wanted to just implore the people listening that like 
my boy Justin here is not just a tech. We, uh, Colin and I yesterday were watching your videos, and I already knew because I've seen you play, but like how good of a fucking drummer you are, and it's incredible. And like that's such an important thing for me to get out about you as well. You're not just a fucking drum tech. You're an incredible drummer. That well, yeah, we we watched about a half an hour worth of videos, and the first thing I said was I love this guy because he's not afraid to hit the fucking snare drum like it owes him money like oh my god the pocket dude let's go oh good thank so, you I, I mean that means a lot i appreciate it no problem and i i do have a question too coming off of this right so of course this is an amazing opportunity you're watching one of the best bands in the world every night but just as a musician i know i get this i'm sure kenny used to get this before he became all jaded and a piece of shit and whatever but like when you're there do you get like the anxiety or jealousy of being like, I want to be behind that drum kit? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I get that going to concerts. I can't, I have a hard time going to concerts and watching bands because I'm like, I want to do it. I want to be up there right now. Like, do you get that from time to time? Like, being behind the kit? I mean, I definitely like it, makes me miss it because of how much I do love playing drums. But at the same time, I still get a sense of that same, like, that rush before the show. Like, I still get satisfaction out of making sure that that show happens. Mm. And when, like, I feed off of Jay. So when he's having a fucking killer time, you know, it's like, I, I we share the same energy, you know? Yeah. And, like, before the show, you're getting hyped up. I mean, like, I find myself stretching out and doing all that kind of shit, too, even though I'm not playing. But it's like, you know, I'm getting ready and amped up just as much as those guys are, you know? And it's we have the countdown in our ears, and you're getting ready and just, like that show as much as it is like, I mean, it's kind of hard to explain it, but like, I don't see the set. Like I'm right behind Jay. I have a stairway that leads up to his riser right behind yeah. him. And I'm in this little doorway. So I'm watching him, you know, the entire set. I got two hours, just laser focused, making sure that like, if a stick goes flying, I'm jumping up there, I'm getting it. Or if something, you know, something happens, I'm ready to go, you know, but I don't get to see the other chaos of what's going on with the show where it's like the pyro or the, the yeah, crazy yeah. fireworks and shit. That's like, it's such a show to see whether or not you're a, a you know, a metal fan or not, you know, like, my mom came out to the last show with my brother and his wife and they they don't listen to the Slipknot, but they said it was one of the coolest shows they've ever been to just because of the spectacle, you know? Hell yeah. But well, it's really wild. I still get that same like, oh, here we go. Like, you know, it's you get that same satisfaction of knowing you guys put on a show. Okay. Ahead, okay. Let me ask a couple questions going back to the show now. I know like you and Jay being friends is one of my favorite things I've ever heard in my life because that's the way it should be. Is he making like jokes via drum fills and looking at you are like there's is this non-verbal communication that you guys have where you're having a good time you're like if these jays have i'm sorry jay if jay's having a great time you're having a great time like are there funny things that happen between you guys or are you guys laser focused yeah i mean like so we have kind of our own way of communicating because of the fact that they all wear masks so well, i can't read his lips you know and when something's going wrong it's not like it's just like, oh, I'm a laid back thing and I'm just playing this and like, hey, this is wrong. Like this dude is just <laughs> blasting and just going absolute nuts the whole show. So it's difficult for him to find the time to be like, huh, like something's wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. But we have different head cues and head nods that like if he goes like this, I'm turning his fan on or I'm turning his fan off or like, hey, I need like, a, you know, a rap or something like that or like point at a symbol that like, hey, you know, so what it is is like in between breaks, he'll turn around like some of the other guys they'll come back they'll change out guitars behind the back of stage where j 
Jay, you know, he's got his world that he just, he'll turn around, face me. Yeah. He takes his breather and we'll communicate in between songs, you know, of like, hey, this symbol, you know, and I could, you know, I've heard his kid enough and I'm pretty dialed in to be like, oh, I know that that symbol's cracked. Or I could tell, you know, where it's like, all right, I got to jump up there and swap the symbol out. Or like, hey, this thing fell over, you know, of a stick drop. But yeah, I mean, like we have a great time with it, you know, where all of a sudden it's like, I'll see a stick go flying and then we could, you know, laugh about it afterward or whatever, you know, as long as it's not something that totally fucked the song up. But like, what's the gnarliest thing that's happened that you had to fix mid show? I was just going to ask that. What's your biggest oh shit moment so far? My first show ever. Uh, (laughs) I, it was, which Jay, I mean, Jay knows that I was freaking the hell out. It was a festival um, in Oklahoma. Uh, like Rocklahoma and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. my first show and the way that his drum set up, it's just like, you know, everything's set up on his kicks. He has kick triggers that basically are primarily like for him, but he already has like two microphones inside the kicks as well. But these little triggers, they get sent to his ears. So he's able to hear his kicks and one kind of stopped working and I've never messed with electronics for me. I'm like all acoustic drums never really had a background in that. So it was fairly new to me. Um, and one stopped working. So, you know, after the song is like, Hey, this one's not working. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I'm like, all right, what do I do? So I take the cable. I'm like, I'm going to swap this cable and put it in the other one. He goes to hit the kick and a tambourine starts playing through this, <laughs> this unit. And I'm like, Oh, and I have all the backline dudes. We're all in a row, you know, so we got the guitar tech, bass tech, other guitar tech, and they all just like look at me and I'm like, what the fuck? Okay, so I unplug it and I put it back in. Next song starts and he's like looking back being like, it's not working, dude. You know, like I could read it on his face. He's just like, shit's not, and I'm like, oh, okay. So like I'm then running and I'm like going up and trying to swap out another cable and that's not working. And and then he's just getting more and more anxious. And I'm just like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Like I'm trying what I can. And all of a sudden I have like one other, like one of the other audio guys comes up to me. We're trying to figure it out and I'm freaking out. And he's just like, we got to fucking fix this. And I'm just like, Oh no, I'm going to get fired. Here it is day one. And I'm like just shitting my pants. And eventually I'm out on the riser and I'm like busting open a brand new like trigger thing and I'm putting it on and connecting it. And he's just like blasting away. And I'm just like down by his kick drum, just like, Oh my God. And finally got it connected. And then like, at that point it was fixed, but it was muted and hit it in his ears so that it wouldn't like blow out in front of house. And they're like, you know, I got Bob and monitors being like, Hey, it's good. Just let him know. And I'm like, he's going to be mad, you know, <laughs> like, it's good. But, and I can't communicate that while he's playing. I was like, Hey, it's fixed, but it's just muted until you finish the song. And then he comes down after that song. He's just like, what the fuck? And I'm just like, it's good. It's good. And then the rest of the show was fine, but I'm like, this is miserable. Like I'm just, and it was like 95 degrees. I'm sweating my tits oh. off. I'm just like, this is, this sucks. The and after the show, he gave me a big bug. It was just like, I'm so sorry. Cause I was just like, I didn't know what to do, you know? And Ever since then, it's like, now that went from my first show. So then every other show now, I'm just like, I'm just doom, you know, like doom fear of like, this could go wrong. Or what if this stops or what happens? So it's like, it's made me prepared for being like, I never know what's going to get thrown at me. But at least then I'm kind of like ready for action, you know, but that was scary. Oh, no, that happens behind the scenes oh, yeah. all that stuff and like oh my god but yeah but like out front of house the kid the fans probably had no idea what was going on because it's not even really like you know at that point it's still making noise through the other two microphones and everything but like you know for him it's throwing him off and if he's off then the rest of the band you got eight other dudes that are like 
what's going on, you know? So like they all rely on him to be the backbone, you know? And it's like not turned off in the middle of a song. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. yeah. Bro, I've had, I've had like, because musicians always think what's going on on stage, everybody notices every little thing is happening. We've had shows where we're a seven piece band. We have two guitar players. I remember uh, my, one of my tubes just burn out. My amp was going in and out for two straight songs till somebody finally got back there and fucking fixed shit. We took like a little, little talk break, little gap. And mm-hmm. after the show, everybody was like, it was fucking outstanding. I'm like, you don't remember during this song? Like, the, and they were like, we had no fucking idea. Like, what, what <laughs> are you talking about? No, yep, for one sure. One more time to Bob. When we had Bob, we all had this sense of like, as long as Bob's at front of house, everything's fine. Everything's fucking fine. No matter what the setup, what the shitty stage, all this stuff, like Bob's out there, everything else is fine, baby. <laughs> exactly. And like, he's such a, a, like a calming reassurance to me, knowing that I have him, that like, that guy can make a turd sound like a fucking orchestra. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's so good at what he does. And even like my first day, I got in there. I didn't know any of these dudes. I'm meeting all these backline people first. And I'm just like, Hey, I'm the new guy. And they're like, okay, let's see what this fucking asshole can do. You know? And it was just like, you know, I'm talking to the audio guys and I'm like, Hey, you know, that day with Bob. And I'm just like, it was my first, like first day ever uh, pre-pro. And I'm just like, well, I'm all I'm going to do is try to make this like, I'm going to make it sound as best as I can. I'm just trying to make it sound juicy. And our one guy Dublin's like, that's it <laughs> you're juicy so that became my nickname was juicy now so everybody calls me juice or juicy <laughs> because i was like i'm gonna do my best you know and then they were just like this is the best this drum kit's ever sounded and i'm like wow like thank oh, god like that makes me feel really good oh, and like bob has always reassured me or like there's been times like you know during the middle of the set like bob will text me and be like that snare sounds sick tonight and i'm like fuck coming from you like that's a legendary thing thank you like that makes me yeah. feel good you know so it's nice that like everybody in this crew is absolutely like just wizards at what they do. And they're all like, I mean, it's like, when you think about like, if I take a step back and like, this is my first time like teching, but you talk to the other guys, it's like, they've worked for Metallica, Slayer, Taylor Swift, like these names and they're all legends in their own craft. You know what I mean? It's no big deal to them. Yeah. Yeah. There is something ridiculous musicians themselves too you know there is something beautiful about picking up the skill and teching and, and getting this experience under your belt because it's kind of like how i put being a bartender like it's an evergreen skill you can always find work if you're a really good tech for somebody else you know what i mean like it's like this sure. nice safety net to have let me yeah. throw this at you so after <laughs> while i started doing fitness with max from eve six yeah eve six would do a bunch of one-offs here and there and they would have me guitar tech and which is drum bass and guitar tech yeah i'm the worst like I wouldn't re- recharge the batteries in the packs uh, and things just wouldn't fucking work. And they're like, Kenny, you're not the best tech, but you're my favorite tech. <laughs> it's yeah, so that's hard. what it's all about. It's, it's about there being a good time. That's like our dude Bubs, like V-Man has him out here because he's also his best friend and he's just the best vibe ever. He's one of the funniest guys I've ever met. And the dude just gets shit done. You know what I mean? But he has a good time doing it and you could goof off and have a blast. Yo, okay. And, I got a big question for you now. We yeah. talked about this yesterday. You have been so laser focused on Jay playing drums for a Slipknot show. If something terrible happened, could you fill in for him on a moment's notice? No. First of all, and this is the first thing of one of the reasons why he thought I wouldn't want to do it is because I'm left-handed. So this might be reversed. I don't know. But Jay is not left-handed. So I'm one of the weird guys I've only toured with one other left-handed drummer and that was Muse. 
in my first day when Dom walked in the room and he was just like, that's a lefty kit. That's Paris. And I was just like, oh my God, he realized that I was left-handed. I'm like, God bless. It's so nice to meet another left-handed drummer. Cause I was always that weird kid that could never play at a guitar center. I was the asshole at any local gig when we're all sharing a drum set and they're like, I got to change it. And they're like, I hate you. <laughs> and it's a it thing, the worst. lefty and play lefty. Cause there's a lot of lefties who play righty. In the yep. open. Yep. So I'm a full on like full lefty. So my kid's totally backwards, but you know, so that was just Jay. I remember he was just like, I honestly thought you're going to say no because you're left-handed. I was like, you know what? He's got enough drums. So, I mean, there's times where I feel like I'm playing like a toddler up there because it's like, I can't, I can't roll this way or I can't really get too much of this stuff, but I can play the rest of it. He's got two kick drums. I make it happen, you know, but it's, it's kind of strange, you know, it's a weird feeling. So it is nice to like, when I finally come home from a month and a half of playing on a right-handed kit, then I'm like, oh my God, now I feel like a real person, you know? Like I'm not riding somebody else's yeah. bicycle. Oh, you know? actually good at this. Yeah. That's incredible, dude. Yeah. Well, uh, so, here, here's another thing to feed off of that though. So you're talking about it's a different kit and everything. How many pieces are you putting together a night? Like how many pieces in total is Jay's kit? So I'm very fortunate because of the fact, at least for like the US runs, once we do pre-production and I build the whole kit, it actually is bolted. I bolt it down and it lives on the riser. So it actually gets rolled on and off the, the actual like semi every night, which is a blessing because it is a very big kit. So, I mean, like if I had a, it, I have it down to a science that I've done it enough that like I could get it built up quick, but he's, he has everything very close and it's very particular because of how much energy it takes for him playing. And so how fast, you know, the littlest difference will affect him. You know what I mean? Like if that symbol's too high, his arm's going to get sore because he's used to that muscle memory of where it should be. So it's very tight. It's all very close together. Um, so there's a lot involved with the setup of that. So once we nail it down, but once it's all bolted, we get it set up where he needs it. It's like, I mean, it's two full-size kick drums. You have three rack toms, two floor toms, two different hi-hats. You got two crashes, two chinas, crash of doom, three little small symbols, another small symbol. So there's a lot. There's a lot involved with it, you know. So, I mean, I don't, whatever that count is, if you sit back and the viewers the want to recount that. There, but that's a lot. Do the microphones stay on it too to the stage box and then they just plug in the stage box? Yeah, so microphones are all on it. The actual, like the rack toms are all internal. Because everything's so tight, we actually put mics on the inside of the rack toms to uh, avoid cymbal bleed and some of the, you know, like that yeah. kind of stuff, which is also interesting too. And, you know, how, in, like, you know, ingenuitive, like, Bob is, you know, intuitive he is with his, like how he sets up the microphones be like, let's try this. or let's make sure that we do this because this is going to be able to avoid this or like, you know, microphones, instead of having overheads, we're going to do them and micro, you know, like mic them up under, you know, underneath yeah, yeah. and whatnot. And, you know, kind of working with him to see like, what's the best for, you know, him as well as Jay. Can we also not glaze over the fact that you just said crash of doom? Was that what you said? <laughs> It's a crash of doom. Hold on. I got one for you. Dog. What the fuck is a crash of doom? It's like nine Chinas just stapled together. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's just one of these bad boys. It's it's the way that it's hammered. It's not very flat. It's very like bent and warped. But yeah, dude, it's a, it's a cra- crash of doom. Crash of doom. Thank you to Zildjian. Zildjian's the best I've company. Seen the best m- I've seen a million drum kits in my life, and I've never heard anybody refer to anything as the crash of doom. That's fucking yeah. sick. It's, it's an interesting sound. It's, I mean, like his, this is a 20 inch. He's got a big 22, you know, and it's just a really big boomy. It's a very interesting sound. It's different, you know, but 
He's got one. If you weren't checking for Slipknot, right, and you you did get offered to go out with somebody else, if you had your dream situation to where you're like, I would like to work on this person's kit specifically or this person's sound specifically, who would you pick? I have no idea. I don't really – I never really, like, put too much thought into it because it's just, like, for me, it's like – I love my own kit and I want to like, I want to be able to play and that kind of thing. So it's like weird thinking of like, Jay's the only other person's drum set I've really like laid my hands on, you know? Yeah. So it's like kind of interesting to be like, I don't know. I never, I never really thought like, Oh, who could I do? You know, well, who are your, who are your favorite drummers specifically? Like you're coming up little Philly kid. Like who, who, who are you yeah. listening to growing up the most? I mean, like I grew up listening to, you know, a lot of like classic rock and eighties, you know, like hair metal and stuff. And it's like my parents listened to, my dad was a guitar player. So, you know, I mean, he had long hair till he died, you know what I mean? So it's like, I grew up in that kind of stuff. And uh, so like when I was younger, I was like a massive fan of like Tommy Lee, you know, the dudes that were up there doing the stick, you know, flips and the stick twirls and shit, like making it fun and entertaining to watch. Obviously you got like John Bonham and that's a go-to for almost any drummer you talk to. Um, but like some of the first stuff I started playing to, like I never took lessons as a kid. I'm being left-handed. I went to go when I was like eight and I'm like, I, you know, the guy's like, I'm not going to teach you unless you switch to righty. I was eight years old. I was not, comp- yeah. I was like, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm not switching. You yeah, know, so I just used to play to CDs. So I was playing to like ACDC yep. and Nirvana. So like Dave Grohl was a massive inspiration of like me starting into drums. But like what made me want to get into a band being younger with my brother and I growing up was like Blink-182 and just mm. like loving, you know, the DVDs of watching them just like be jackass, but also just like hanging out with your best friends on the road and playing shows. And like, that's what made me want to start a band, you yeah. know, it was like watching like Travis Barker just be an absolute, you know, madman, yeah. but also just like goofing off with his best friends. You know? I remember tra- watching videos of Travis. He'd be like doing the craziest little stick drum snare fucking things. And then you see Mark Hoppus go, I can barely play my instrument. Yeah. <laughs> and those guys have owned up to that since they, they're like, we're just crappy pop punk dudes and Travis is the only real musician in the band, you know? And it's like, good for you guys to own up to that. And that was another like small story was a dream come true is that Paris, it was just us in Blink-182 in 2017, we got to open for them. And it was just like a pretty surreal moment of like, I, I'm not like musicians, everybody geeks out, blah, blah, blah. Like they're just, they're just normal humans. They're just like any one of us. But that was somebody that like, I met Mark maybe once before seeing some friends that open up for them at a show, but like for him to like come up, introduce himself, it was like a pretty surreal moment for me. It was just like kind of fanboy, but just like, I kept my shit together. But it was like, man, like I had posters of you on my wall yeah. and you're like nice enough to come up, introduce me, watch us play. And then like when we took a little acoustic break, Brian and I leave the stage and he's just like, fuck you doing Justin? Like for him to remember my name <laughs> as I'm like walking off stage, I'm like, holy shit. Like this dude's watching us play. Like, the nicest dudes and i've met him a couple times since but like it was pretty neat to like meet somebody that you kind of idolize as a kid and have them not be an asshole it's kind you know? of funny the because it's in the same world it's a little bit relevant the first time i ever fanboyed while i was in awol was when tim mcgillrath from rise against mm. came up and like introduced some stuff and i was like yo i've been listening to you since baxter since killing tree since like way back he goes my email's still baxter whatever the fuck i'm not gonna give it away but like that was a huge one for me oh and then uh white wives from pittsburgh 
guitar player is the Chris Dose, the bass player of Anti-Flag. They opened for AWOL, and my singer Aaron the whole time to Chris was like, dude, Chris, Kenny's a huge fucking fan. I'm like, shut up, bro. Shut up, bro. You're embarrassing me. And we were headlining. I'm like, you're embarrassing me. Those stories. Oh yeah, actually, it was funny because meeting uh, from Rise Against, I remember like we were at catering somewhere. I don't know. We were in Europe or whatnot. And we were playing at the same festival and like our tour manager was Lisa Brownlee. I don't know if you know her. I mean, she's absolute uh, legend. Yeah. And she's just there. She's like, hey, Tim, you know, and like <laughs> he comes up and I'm like, that's just, you know, and then that was the first time I like looked at him and was like, you have two different color, beautiful eyes. And I was just yeah. like, whoa, like, you're, wow, you're, you're a great looking dude. Like, what's up? <laughs> See, my first time being starstruck was tackling Mark Foster from Foster the People by accident. That was, <laughs> that was a very interesting way to meet somebody moshing at Firefly and fucking accidentally tackling Mark Foster, just trying to be a drunk asshole. Firefly uh, festival. Jesus Christ. Justin, we've taken up so much of your time, dude. You have to do me a favor. You have to come back on. This is one of my favorite interviews we've ever done. You got to be our yes. fucking recurring... He's like one of us. You he's know one I mean? of us, dude. He gets one it. Not to, me- not to mention, dude, if you're ever in the city, in Philly, let's grab a drink. Let's fucking... Yeah. Whatever you want to do. I'm around, dude. This is I'll so- be here Friday, kid. <laughs> What's going on? Are you going to be in Philly? Yeah, I'm actually... So, like, I have played... My, uh, one of my best friends, while I was away, uh, had his first little baby boy. And I'm going to meet him for the first time. Now that I'm like home, we just got back from Canada. I just flew home like two days ago, COVID free. We're tested. We're good. Make sure that I was just like, okay, I want to meet you, that little boy. Um, So I'm very excited. So that's like Friday. It was like the first time I'm going to go meet meet him and do that. So enjoy being home, man. Enjoy being home and all your good shit. That's fucking great. Thanks for coming in, man. I appreciate it. Seriously, brother. Thank you guys so much for having me. I had a blast. I feel like we can talk for hours, so we'll have to catch up again. Yeah, we're doing this again, 100%. Yeah, we're doing this again, 100%, because I feel like we just scratched the surface. But everybody, go see Slipknot on tour. Try and spot Justin back there. And if anybody can, please get this motherfucker a clown mask, please. Just for my just for my own like sake. You know what I mean? I, I want to see that. <laughs> oh, man. Justin, thank you so much, man. We'll have you back on soon, all right? Right on. Well, thank you guys so much. You guys take care. See all you guys right. soon. All right, so that was our friend Justin Nace. Go check out Slipknot on tour. Make sure you follow Justin on social media. He's an amazing drummer. He's got some great videos on there. I think when me and Kenny were waiting for Justin, we watched like a half an hour worth of of videos of him just playing the drums. Heavy fucking pocket. Great drummer. Great dude. Uh, Kenny, thank you for bringing him on, dude. We appreciate that. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm still nice to you, even though you're a diamond boy. Uh, Let's go into on the list, off the list. Kenny, why don't you start out? Who's on your list? on my list yeah we kind of spoke to it and it's a it's a half half because it has to do with coachella the weekend two features were tight worst tight mainly because of the Haley thing damon was first weekend but like still like lumped those together with billy and then i didn't see this till this morning that baby keen brought out kendrick oh yeah that I, shit was i crazy. watched the whole fucking thing and for fuck's sake man like like the whole place on fire it's he's incredible it's incredible Dude, Kendrick has that ability to fucking stop the world. By the way, Baby Keem's album was fucking sick. I don't know, Jessica, are you, are you a Baby Keem guy? Yeah, 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 big time. I, I loved his uh, his first one. What was it? Uh, Die For My Bitch, I think was the first one. And Die then, For My Bitch. Obviously, this the the most recent one was was incredible as well. But uh, ever since I first heard that Orange Soda Pop song he had on the first album, I was like, who is this guy? And then I come to realize he's Kendrick's like little cousin who's wild. The fact that he went off for a song that he literally, his first big song just starts with him saying, bitch, sit on my face. I attack that. Love that. <laughs> Love that. Kenny, I actually found that when I was in LA with you. I was driving that rental car and I was going through like rap caviar or something on Spotify. And the first lyric is, bitch, sit on my face. I attack that. <laughs> so fire. 
Dirtball in the coop smoking cat piss. Yeah. Baby Keem's the fucking man, dude. Um, Jeski, who's on your list? Um, so if I remember correctly, this isn't, doesn't have to specifically be all music inclined, correct? No. Okay, great. So on my list right now, electric city bikes. So I have a shuttle that runs from my apartment building to the pad station. Pad is the, the train that takes you from New Jersey into uh, Manhattan. Um, and I often miss the shuttle. So I'm stuck to walk like a mile and change to the path. And sometimes I take a city bike, but like if it's hot or like too cold, you don't want to pedal all the way. And they have these electric ones that uh, are like a, a push assisted one. Um, and it's fantastic. I've been, I though doc close to my house normally or to my apartment normally just had the regular bikes. And now they're getting an influx of the uh, electric ones. And I, it has just changed my life incrementally. I don't have to worry about the, the shuttle when it comes. Um, and it's just making my life a lot better. And they're so fun to whip around. So a little bit of a, of a weird novelty uh, list, but uh, or addition to the list, but that's on my list right now. That is like, I love those bird scooters. I'll fucking take them things off. Oh, hell yeah. Dude, my brother-in-law works for bird scooters now. No, he works for Lime. I don't want to get it wrong. He works for Lime scooters. He's got any discount codes? Probably. Dude, yeah, one of my that. best memories ever on tour was being at South by Southwest and watching because they had Lime scooters everywhere. Yeah. And we're up on a fucking balcony, blacked out drunk, screaming to people like this shit was a big daddy where I was hoping one of them would hit a stick and flip over. People were doing <laughs> like 60 miles an hour on these fucking bird scooters just sitting up there going, Oh, you asshole. Like fucking, I do my whole Snapchat story the entire weekend was just me filming people on bird scooters. They're, they're the dangerous. best, dude. Are what? they all over LA, Kenny? No, dude, they're everywhere. I lived in Venice Beach for like 10 years and the last few, they started getting those bird scooters everywhere. And like, Venice is all tourists anyway. Put them on a bird scooter in the weirdest place on earth. So many funny things happen. Yeah, Venice is fucking weird, dude. It's a weird spot. Is that Dogtown? Is that, ten, is that like... Oh, like yeah, Dogtown's on the north end, yeah. Speaking of that, have you ever seen the movie Lords of Dogtown? Oh yeah. my god, so far. It's one of my favorite fucking movies ever. They have the coffee there's a coffee shop called Dogtown Coffee and it is the original Dogtown Z building and they have like a glass plate over one of the original walls where they drew all the stuff and the graffiti and shit. I just love I love the fact they made Stacy Peralta and that's such a nerd. He's just like this long-haired nerd. Yeah. I thought that was amazing. Um yo, my on the list and this is very general is people. Uh I got the opportunity in my neighborhood in Philly. There's a, a big street festival that they have every year. It's the first one they've done since COVID was on Sunday. And I went down and I actually bartended it. And seeing that many people in one place in our neighborhood was such a beautiful thing. And to watch the shit show of people just outside for the first time, like it blocked off the main street. Like it was so dope. It was so good to see people back just having fun, like going from bar to bar, bar hopping, fucking throwing up, breaking glass, like the dirtiest side of humanity, but also like the most loving side of humanity. It was beautiful. Kenny, it seems like it's probably your nightmare of where you want to be. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's why I moved out of the city. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, dude, it was beautiful. It was Philadelphia in full force. It was a beautiful thing. Uh, I got my ass whooped. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I got I got fucking my ass handed to me. I haven't seen a crowd like that in a while. But uh, people on my list. Kenny, who's off your list? Probably people. What'd you say? I said it's a good list edition. It's fucking, it, <laughs> fucking people, baby. Uh, Kenny, who's off your list? Uh, off my list, another generic one, but there's a specific reason. Getting fucking old. <laughs> oh, whack. Very I'm whack. Stoner till I die. I like stoner foods. Mm. They all make me feel like shit now. Candy, milkshakes, burgers, fries. Everything I eat makes me feel fucking awful for days. And so now I'm eating strawberries and fucking smoothies and fuck. 
What was the age that uh, you started feeling it more? Like your your food consumption, like when it really started altering you negatively? Uh, probably a couple of years ago. It's probably like yeah, mid thirties, like thirty five or so. Um, is when like things re- you could really start to feel not working out for a day, eating one fucking bad sandwich. Like any little thing you do is a tangible change in your vibe. It's fucking weird. My What's hangovers now. Are, oh, sorry, sorry. Oh no, after you, dude. My hangovers now are much worse that I'm in, into my later twenties. But eating, I'm still. I can still like eat and not really have a to really worry about putting on any weight or like anything with my metabolism slowing down. But my hangovers for sure have gotten worse. But I'm. I'm my metabolism stopped. And on what? the day I turned 30. Really? The day I turned 30 was when I had to actively work out every fucking day so that I could eat whatever I wanted. Damn. I lost weight when I, like, I turned 30 in October and I, I dropped LBs. Still go to the gym every day, but I'm also a fucking meathead. Kenny's not, Kenny's not a meathead. You you're live the surf life. I'm, yeah, I'm a surfing stoner. I'm the opposite of meathead. I know. Oh, uh, by the way, had surfers. You'd be so surprised when you fucking jacked aggro dudes are out there and you're like, bro, chill. It's 8 a.m. Yeah. Every surfer I've ever seen has like a fucking 12 pack. What are you talking about? Yeah, but like aggro meathead is different than like <laughs> in shape fitness fuck, you know? Yeah, some uh, dudes on pre-workout and fucking testosterone in the water. That's not what you want. Bro, there's nothing worse than when you're at the gym and you can tell the dude who's on like a cycle of steroids because one, all the hair is gone from the top of their head. It's just all over their body and they smell like a bag of salty dick. Like, I don't know how else to put it. Like you can tell that the steroid guy in the fucking gym, Kenny, would you ever take steroids? I don't know what I would take steroids for surfing better. Maybe not steroids. What about TRT, like uh, the Joe Rogan thing? So he takes just testosterone replacement. A lot of people, Stu Finer from Barstool takes it. He doesn't take it to work out. He takes it because his natural testosterone levels are obviously starting to wane a little bit. So, it, you know, for lack of a better term, keeps his dick hard. It also helps with brain function and just keeps your body uh, kind of more of a well-oiled machine. You know what I would take? I would take anything that makes my joints not hurt anymore because I wait. Yeah, that'll help. For a lot of years, <clears throat> skateboarding, crowd surfing, all that, like, did so much shit. Uh, and now I'm paying for it, as my mom always said that I would. Mm. Uh, and if there's anything that I could take to, like, I'm not, like, in pain or, like, have arthritis, but, like, I can tell, like, yo, I don't need to drop 14-foot verts anymore, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I would, de- I think I would do the testosterone shit. The, sure. Like, if I would, like, later in life, if I could start to tell that, like, that edge was going away. I pro- I probably do it. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, Rogan does it. If Stu Finer's still out here eating ass and, and fucking for half an hour and he's taking that shit, I'm probably in, dude. That's what he said. That's what he uh, attests his uh, his high sex drive to that his monthly testosterone shot. So I don't know when I, when I start hitting forty or around there, forty forty five, I might have to be taking that shot as well. Yo, I'm almost forty. My wife just got pregnant with twins. Hey. You're, good. You're good. Then you got strong swimmers, man. You're all right. Uh, Kenny, I, I could. Kenny's probably got high T, dude. Kenny, Kenny's Kenny's a real boy. Kenny, Kenny's out here. <laughs> By the way, Jeski, fuck you. Jeski's latest single is all about him being like 25 and washed up. You pussy. <laughs> <laughs> I listen to that song and I'm like, yo, you still got a while to go there, Ace. Right? He had Fitz on here and Fitz was like, they all told me I was too old. And we're like, how old were you? He goes, 28. <laughs> that's what that's what i kind of feel like right now like uh they, i mean they always say like rap is a young man's game what i do is a little bit more like pop leaning than, than rap i would say or it's like a little blend of i don't know shit but like it is 
like a young man's game and the, uh, the hottest, coolest dude is always like a 19 year old, 21 year old in the scene. And not to say that I'm old in the term of like life, but in terms of like putting music out and like trying to be like edgy yeah. and cool, it's, 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 it's tough sometimes. And I'm like, Oh fuck, I'm in the later half of my twenties. Who are we just having this conversation with about rap artists specifically? But, the, Oh, it was uh, Andrew Barber from fake shore drive yeah. was like, dude, you got to be above 26 to be a legend. It's like fucking statistically correct. Like Jay-Z or die at 27. Right in yeah. that sweet spot, you either survive past 26 or you fucking die at 27. But like, I don't know, all the great rap artists like J. Cole, fucking uh, uh, Kanye, Jay-Z, all these people were like of a like later 20 age and then they blossomed in. I don't know. I feel like if you're going to be a flash in the pan, being like 19, 20 is probably 100%. where you want to go. But if you want to be like a sustained artist, you have to learn throughout your 20s and then escalate past that. Yeah, and I'm kind of, we're kind of seeing that right now, at least with like the SoundCloud era. A lot of those guys, like, I don't know if you guys know who Smoke Perp is, but he Performing came to 13 people? Yeah, he, he blew up a little pump and now he, like, his whole mantra, their, one of their, like, memes was that they would just say, fuck J. Cole at every concert and then he made that 1985 song kind of, like, uh, predicting their demise and it is now coming true and Smoke Perp is, like, the punching bag of the rap industry right now and he got on when he was 19 and now he, I think he's 24 and he can't sell more than 10 seconds to a show. Is where it's at in your 20s you got to make that edgy new shit and then in your 30s you got to make cool creative shit smart yeah. shit. you know you just got to evolve i'm gonna shock you here jet ski you're gonna turn 30 and you're not even gonna realize like it's different i don't i don't i don't, I don't feel any fucking different i turned 30 and I, I feel exactly the same i actually feel like more focused i don't know maybe because the clock is ticking in my head i'm like i gotta do this shit right the fuck now <laughs> i don't know what it is but that's that's where I, I am. I have this like, and it's such a, it's a, a bad thing to have. I think it's a good thing in terms of like, it may, it keeps me motivated and wanting to create new music, create new content, like stay on top of shit with work, be creative. But I have this, for some reason, 30 is like this looming thing in my head. It's like, if, if you don't make something of yourself before you're 30, you're fucked. But it's also like a sliding scale of what, what success is. I don't know. I had, a guy in, I had a guy in Nashville one time. I was like 20, 26 at the time. And uh, I had sent him the music. He's like, this is great. And he's like, hey, by the way, how old are you? And I was like 26. And he goes, if you don't make it by 27, you might as well look for a new line of work. So like for a year, I was like, oh my God. And then I realized later on down the line, like when I turned 30, I was like, what the fuck did that guy know? What did he do? <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? I had a similar experience. I sent some music to an A&R and he was like, oh, this is good. He's like, how old are you? And then I was like, uh, so when I was 26 and I was like 26, like 13. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, well, you know what they say about rap? You know what they call rappers over the age of 25? And I was like, what? And he's like managers. And I was like, oh, fuck. oh. <laughs> so that well, hurt my soul a little bit. Don't ever forget the reason that person is an A&R. All my because they can't make music. I, I don't know. I think my 30s are going to be fucking dope. Plan it and build it in your 20s and execute yeah. it in your 30s. Dude, like imagine how shitty, imagine how shitty it was to be 27 going into the pandemic and thinking oh, like, so and then tough. I was, I would, I was 27 going into the pandemic. So the last two years of my 20s got knocked the fuck out. But 28. So like, what? I said sale came out, I was 28. So like by like 30, 32, man, it was just on top of the world. Well, I will say I did create this during COVID, so I'm kind of happy with how that worked out. So, I don't know. Everything happens when it's supposed to happen. That's the best piece of advice I can give to anybody. 100%. Uh, Jeski, who's off your list? Off my list is, this is a little more musically inclined, um, these look-alike and like fake rappers that have been popping up recently. I, and I guess celebrity impersonators have always been a thing. Like, you always see a thousand fake Elvises when you go to, when you go to Vegas or something like that, or Graceland, whatever. But there's been... Uh, 
two in particular that recently popped up and made headlines. There was a fake Drake. Um, this guy was a little bit more harmless. He was just making club appearances and getting paid, though, getting paid like five, seven, ten grand to show up. And like, I guess, I guess clubs would plant someone to record like a, a fake Snapchat or Instagram, like, oh my God, Drake's in the club and record like the back of his head because he doesn't look like Drake. And I guess it's a marketing tool for them. So he was getting his bag. I respect that. Um, and then there's been this fake little dirt kid who's oh been God. popping up and they're doing the same thing and then six nine like ambushed him with a video camera crew and like did all his fuckery and put like a, a r.i.p king von sweatshirt on him and was basically like mocking king von this fake little dirt guy is apparently like a haitian immigrant has no idea what the fuck's going on just his buddy was like you look like little dirt you should start posting videos and he started like getting a little bit of clout and making club appearances and while i'm like happy that these kids are able to make some money. I think this is so whack and I don't understand like how there's a market for this, for this fake celebrity thing. And, and I think it's bad for uh, music in general. And I also think it's just bad for like social media and it's telling kids like, oh, look at what you can do. You can just dress like someone and pretend to be a celebrity and, and like get popping online. I think it's a really, really dangerous road to go down, especially because like this kid with the, with the Lil Dirk situation, there's a lot of bad blood with the, with the Lil Dirk King Von, like six have, nine, six like, nine thing. Like, I don't think they're gonna ever do anything six nine, but like still, like King Von. I mean, Lil Durk is and and King Von are both like real street dudes and rolling around pretending to be someone who's like a you know confirmed gangbanger and and lives that life. I think is a bad recipe to to, to mix in. Bro, we live in the fucking future. I hate this shit. I hate it so much. So, it's so weird. Kenny, what what would you have done at the height of AWOL if someone would have come up dressed like you, like just like I'm Kenny Carkey? People have done so much weirder shit. <laughs> like what? Stealing your clothes when you're crowd surfing or fucking like send, like finding your address and sending boxes of fucking food and weird shit to your house and like figuring out your hotel. Like it gets fucking weird. But like I, I'm with I'm with him on the whole like that's a weird thing to do the celebrity impersonating. Although like if there's a way to make money, people are going to do it. And also – is that us slash you getting old? Are the young kids like, fuck that. This is sick. I'm going to pretend to be this and ride the coattails. Like there's people who make millions of dollars from opening toys on YouTube. Yeah, that's true. Like, fuck. The, oh. Dude, the gig economy has changed so yeah. much. It's yeah. so weird. Wait, can I, the, Jesse, that kind of reminded me of this story. Have I ever told you this story about I got, I got duped by Nicki Minaj? No, but actual Nicki Minaj or fake Nicki Minaj? All right, so this is what happened. Uh, this is when Nikki was like first blowing up. This is like 2011. It was my senior year of high school, I think. Okay. And uh, she was playing Power 99's like summer jam kind of a thing in Philly. And uh, I'm from Northeast Philly, which is basically like the Long Island of, of New York. He's, he's not in the city, whatever. So all of a sudden we start hearing everybody saying, yo, Nicki Minaj is going to be at Albert's, which is a shitty dive bar in my neighborhood after... <laughs> Albert. Summer Jam. So we get told Nicki Minaj is going to be at this shitty dive bar, and we all show up. Like, all of Northeast Philly is at this shitty dive bar. And all night, the DJ's like, Nicki Minaj is coming in five minutes. Everybody get ready. Here she comes. And then she just never showed up. They'd be like, no, no, no. She's caught on the boulevard. Like, it's cool. Just everybody stay. We all paid like, a huge cover to get in. It was like 3.45 in the morning, and we were all still there. And, th and then eventually somebody was like, 
Nicki Minaj isn't coming, never showed up. And then, like, looking back on it now, why the fuck would Nicki Minaj be coming to the shittiest dive bar in the Northeast? We all got duped. Like, legit, like, the dumbest motherfuckers alive. Were you duped by Alberts, or was there maybe, like, a, someone masquerading as a, as a promoter or someone in, on Nicki Minaj's team trying to... No, get we them. got duped by Alberts. They definitely just put Damn. out fucking flyers that said, yo, Nicki Minaj is coming here after, and looking back at it, I'm like, there's no way Nicki Minaj is coming there after the show. It's smart, but it's devious. They closed, so I don't even care. Fuck them. Albert uh, the finesse, damn. Dude, super finesse. But it was just so bad. The DJ all night was like, yo, she's on her way. She's about to walk in the back door. Everybody be quiet. Like, it was like, they were like preparing for her to come in. Like, <laughs> man, her limo got turned around on the boulevard. She'll be here in five minutes. Like, and we all just stayed. It was dumb. I don't even know. Um, my off the list are people on Twitter. I don't know why everybody's so fucking mad that Elon Musk bought Twitter. I don't get it. What what's the what's the harm? Like, I, I why is this the end of democracy? The Elon Musk bought Twitter. It seems like all he wants to do is take all the rules away. He's like, next I'm buying McDonald's and fixing all the ice cream machines, or next I'm <laughs> and releasing GTA Six. Like these memes are great. How I think good. I think he just one does have a a little bit to do, or it does have a little bit to do with him wanting to like ease back on the censorship a little bit. But I also think Elon is so in. In immersed in like meme culture and internet humor. I think part of it is just he thinks it's funny that he's going to buy it and he is like the, the rich billionaire meme guy. Dude, he really he is. He controls Twitter regardless whether or not he owns it. I just like, I thought it was just so funny to watch so many people freaking out like this was going to like greatly impact their lives. Like, shut up. The guy's got billions on billions of dollars. He'll spend it on what, what he wants to spend it on. And by the way, don't cry any tears for the people who are running Twitter before because they've got $44 billion. Like, that's not even a quarter of his net worth. How crazy is that? How crazy is that? That's the people being like Elon Musk buying Twitter for 44 million or 44 billion, me downloading it from the app store for free. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> what an idiot. Dude, I just thought it was, I thought it was, I like, I love watching outrage on Twitter. Like, it's one of my favorite things to do. Like, because I just sit back with my popcorn and I'm like, these people are all fucking morons. This is one where I was like, I don't know how it became a political thing that Elon Musk bought Twitter. I don't understand it. I'm I'm lost. I don't know what's going on. The world's upside down. We got fake little dirks running around. We got fucking Elon Musk buying Twitter, but I don't know. Um, all right, so that's on the list, off the list. Uh, Kenny, I do have to ask you, is there any new music you've been listening to? Uh, no, not new. I've, I've been listening to a lot of Outkast lately. This whole fucking going deep, spotty, yachty, dope, delicious, you know? Little AT um, Aliens, little Quemini. What? I said little AT aliens, little Equemini. Best of all time. Best, Best of, all, of time. all time. I got something to say. Dude, I saw somebody put a TikTok up the other day, and it was like uh, One Hit Wonders Part 43, and they put up Hey Ya by Outkast. What the fuck? I almost threw my phone. That was a kid probably who was like 21. Oh, easily, which is just crazy. I also saw another great post the other day, and it was um, Arian, Fra- Arian Foster of Barstool Sports yeah. uh, now because of macrodosing. But somebody put up the question, what is the greatest American band of all time? And he quote tweeted it and said, Outcast. And I was like, that's an interesting take. I mean, he might actually, like, they're not, they're a group. They're not a band, but like, what well, constitutes? I would say, and like I hope this isn't like overstepping my boundaries, like and like speaking too much on like the the black community, but like I feel like maybe from their standpoint, that might be the biggest and, and most like you know relevant band they've had is, is in in recent years. But maybe that's that's not a good statement. Maybe I, I might have to cut that. <laughs> no, I, mean, I mean it absolutely. Like like I said, that sentence, that sentiment of outcast doesn't make me mad. I don't make me mad either. But like, hey, that's pretty sick. But what makes a difference, like between a band and a group? Like, I, 
I'm sure you guys being members of like actual bands with live instrumentation, do you not acknowledge like the term boy band? Like they're not an actual band. Like do you not consider like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys were a group, they weren't an actual band. Do you think you need to play actual instruments for it to be a band? Where's the, the that's, differentiation? That's tough though, because if you look back to like the 60s and the 70s, they never called the Temptations a band. They called them a group. Yeah. And they, they played live instruments. They did all that. Uh, so I don't know. That, that's a really like murky line there i i think like it's once again like a gatekeeping thing if you want to be a rock band and be like they're not a fucking band like whatever yeah, like yeah. fuck you like i don't know like i don't consider outcast a band but as far as greatest american groups they would be in my top 10 probably like as far as like i mean is there a greater group in hip-hop kenny than outcast maybe like you could argue like Tang. i don't know like tribe called quest or wu-tang like there's a there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of really good fucking groups yeah, I don't know. Like, but Jesse, I, I think that that's a that's a line that gets blurred, and especially when you want to be selective. Um, but like, there's so many great groups that were groups but weren't considered bands. So yeah. like, I don't. know. I feel like there's like dickheads who want to be like really like on the line about that. And I wonder if people got mad at Arian Foster's statement. I want I want to go back and like sure look, look through that. Um, speaking of new music, Jesse, you got a new single dropping. Yes, I have a new single that dropped. Uh, let's say when it dropped actually today. It's called Paper Trails. Um, I put in, I have like a little pack of of four or five songs that uh that I've been working on that are a little bit more like I wouldn't say alternative rock, but they're more like alternative rap leaning, a little bit more live instrumentation. It's less like bars. So I've been playing around with, uh, with releasing a couple of those. I'm definitely gonna get back into the the actual like rap stuff, the more stuff that was more towards like my album. But yeah, I, I, I have a song called Paper Trails out right now. Uh, really happy about it. I think the hook hook's very catchy. Um excited about it i have a couple more songs in that in that vein they're going to be released in the next couple of weeks and then project coming out somewhere uh down the line in the beginning of summer that's going to be a little bit more rap but i've just been experimenting a little bit when i had covid i had nothing to do besides record so i, I made some like not edm type songs we have a buddy who's an edm producer I, I put some vocals on some of his his cuts and just experimenting with different sounds so the ones i actually like that were different than what i normally do i'm dropping as little lucy's uh so paper trails is out right now also a month before uh last i dropped a song called too close to 30 that's the one that colin was uh, referring to talking about how i'm washed and i'm only uh 27 so if you feel the same check that out but uh yeah i got a lot of new music coming the, uh, on the way and have some stuff that i just dropped recently i want edm jet ski dude i want to see what that's about the one show oh song on my album light shows kind of edm uh leaning but uh i have a buddy my buddy rob rob blaze who uh is at some uh, production school in LA right now. And he's just focusing on, uh, EDM. I forgot what it's called. Icon, I think, uh, I believe, but, um, he's been going hard with the, with the EDM shit. It's never really been really my lane. I liked, I thought I liked EDM in college, but I realized I just liked eating Molly. Um, <laughs> and once I removed that from the equation, I didn't really fuck with it, but you know, he was like, can you send me, uh, uh, you know, s some vocals for this? And uh, I want to make some, uh, something with a little bit more, um, substance than just the, the actual production. And I kind of liked it. We, we were making, so I'm going to probably drop one of those as a Lucy, um, down the line too but uh yeah there's gonna be a little bit of dabbling in different genres dude go on to tiktok and just do like the eat molly challenge to, to the new song uh, i don't know about that i don't know if my heart can... see that i'm i'm scared of it because of the whole fentanyl thing like and oh, yeah like I, i'm not gonna lie and say like i'm and an completely anti-drug like I, I love i love mushrooms I, but i'm strictly on like naturally occurring things right now just mushrooms weed uh alcohol trying to stay away from anything anything processed it's just too fucking too scary with with, with the whole like fentanyl outbreak right now um so if you're someone who dabbles recreationally get 
fentanyl testing kits. If you go to dancesafe.org, you can get uh, fentanyl testing strips that you can, uh, you know, put in your baggie before you. you, you so smart, it. it's dude. Smart. It's crazy. Like I couldn't imagine being somebody who does the recreational drugs, and every time you take it, you got to be like, oh well, I might die. I don't know, like, because this shit is so crazy. It's 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 rampant right now, dude. It's nuts. Dude, I- I used to t- like I would go to festivals and like eat enough Molly to like kill a fucking like, like school of kindergartners and now I couldn't like thinking about doing that like makes my heart palpitate a little bit so stay safe out there if you're uh, if you're doing drugs Jesus Christ stick to weed right Kenny it's fucking God's drug you know what I mean God's I'm drug uh, all right so that's gonna be this week's episode we'll be back with another one next week hopefully I have Dave and Dante back uh, if Dave didn't you know kill himself shooting turkeys I, I haven't talked to him yet so we'll see I don't want to I don't even want to like, watch that dude with a gun in his hands like he scares me he, he really before does. you sign off can I suggest one uh, one rapper that I've been listening to recently I, I don't want to be speaking out of turn but I want to put some people on to him just like I put you on to Yeet well you were right on Yeet so I, I trust your opinion so this is a little bit less um, like I don't know. I, I don't know what the what the niche than you, even though Yeet's kind of going mainstream, but it's not like this kind of mumble rap sound. This is more traditional uh, hip hop, but obviously a little bit new wave. Mike Dimes, rapper out of uh, San Antonio. He's actually rapping, actually spitting bars. His shit is fucking hard as hell. So fire. Uh, I came across his song, No Trends, but he released a project called In Dimes We Trust. Super fire. If anyone's uh, kind of sick of the new wave rap song, of new wave rap sound and, and and then the yeet, the whole Playboy Cardi thing. Uh, check out Mike Dimes. It'll it'll maybe give you a little bit more faith in, in what's to come in, in the rack game. He's an independent. He's half independent. Like I'm sure he's got. He says he's independent. I'm sure he has some type of major backing right now. But um, super super talented. A uh, lot of bravado in his raps. Check out Mike Dimes. Let's go, baby. Damn, that's a way to sign off. Shout out Mike Dimes. Well, if, if the jet ski effect has any fucking uh, hold on us, I'm sure that Mike Dimes will be performing at the Grammys next year. Because hope so. Yeats out here killing it. Kenny, you got anything for me, baby? Get Mike Dimes on the podcast, baby. There oh, we let's, we, let's do it. Crazier things have happened. Uh, I, I'm down for that shit. Uh, by the way, shout out to Armani Blanco. I've been talking about this guy on the podcast. I was texting him earlier today. He's the guy who went super viral with that fucking uh, clip of his song, Billie Eilish, on, uh, on TikTok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my boy. He got the sample cleared. So this dude's life is about to change, which I'm really excited for. What the for fuck? That's crazy. Yeah, he got the sample cleared. I don't even know what the song is. That It, it was this early 2000s rap song that he had to get cleared. And uh, he's going to come on to explain what it took to get that shit cleared. Um, but I, I, I fucking DM'd him too, I think. It's it's the, it's like, what is it? It was like, something's on that white girl, Billie Eilish. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's my boy. Yeah. You know him personally? Yeah, he's a Philly guy. Holy shit. Yeah, I, I think I saw Roan followed him and I DM'd him as well. And I was like, yo, when is this coming out? It is so fire. And he was like, uh, he said something about get, getting it clear, but that's fucking wild. Like, it, was it like, I guess Billy personally had to sign off on it, I imagine. It was, right? No, it's the actual sample underneath that was what was tough to get it signed off on. So it wasn't the actually using her name or anything no, like that. It was well, the, that's it not was, illegal. Yeah, that's, that's stupid. Kenny, have you ever had to have samples cleared? No. No? Everything's been original? really used anything that would matter. <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh because that was probably like a timber timberland beater it was a like timberland that, right? beat yeah. i think it was yeah i don't know why right. i thought it was like it would be a billion dollar but yeah that shit sounds fire yeah uh so shout out armani blanco congratulations brother i can't wait to see what happens here um all right let's get the fuck out of here gentlemen Jetski, love you kenny i'll text you later <laughs> it's fuck you guys we love you